Thanks for tuning in to the Survival to Thrival podcast, based on the book series with the same name. I'm Helen Croydon, and I'm the interviewer of the biggest stars of the show, the two co-authors, Tehi Norm and Bob Tinker. Tehi and Bob are a duo of investor and entrepreneur. They have a long history of working together and have written two books together, aimed at founders and entrepreneurs striving to build enterprise startups. This podcast is based on the themes, advice and real world stories from their book series, Survival to Thrival. If you enjoyed this, please like it, subscribe or share it with your network. So in the last episodes, we focused on finding go-to-market fit and unlocking growth. But what about when you start growing? What happens then? There are a whole host of personal and people challenges for entrepreneurs that go along with that. And that is what this episode is all about. So Bob, as ever, starting with you, you know, once you're fortunate enough to unlock growth, the company starts to grow and accelerate. So what happens next? So when the company starts to grow, it's a blast. You know, you're unlocking growth. Uh, There's a lot of execution, operational things to do. It's great fun. But one of the things that I think for me and for Tehi was a surprise and a particular frustration was that there's actually this hidden sort of private stress among startup leaders, which is as the company starts to accelerate and grow, which is a great thing. Like what I was thinking in my head is how do I keep up with the company? How do I not hold the company back? And that eats at you. And I don't think there was actually a lot of good help and information out there for how leaders need to evolve and change as their companies changes. It sort of gets thrown around as this meme, like, how do you scale? And like, I had no idea what that means. I don't think anybody really knows what that means. So, you know, this transition from, you know, survival to thrival and no growth to growth is probably the biggest point where suddenly people's jobs change and therefore they need to change. And I think this is one of the most not talked about challenges for startup leaders. Yeah, yeah. And I think it helps to uh, uh, put this in the context of as the company is unlocking growth, the company is actually changing dramatically. You know, the company is transitioning from survival to thrival. The company is going through a mindset change where before it was all about frugality, showing clear ROI to about now this feeling of calculated recklessness to become the category Mm -hmm. leader. It's it's not just the person changing, but the whole company is changing as part of this process. Yeah. What sort of things, when you say the, the very things that helped you get ahead can then hold you back, can you give a couple of examples? I'll give you a couple examples from my experience. And Tehi, you can probably pipe in with some other experiences you've seen companies go through. For me, in the very beginning, you know, the CEO job is very much like kind of Captain America or Wonder Woman and the platoon in the woods. It's like you and this small platoon of people digging ditches, getting punched, getting dirty, banging into trees. Like it's really good fun. It's like you and the platoon in the woods. But then, you know, the CEO job changed and became more like, you know, Captain America and the Avengers, where you have to hire a band of superheroes. And I had to unlearn how to doing that and actually learn how to let go and let the executives lead their teams. At a culture perspective, like you're wired for frugality and survival when you're still in experimentation to find product market fit and go to market fit. But once you find that repeatable recipe to unlock growth, 
you know, you have a mindset shift, like Tehi said, to be more like calculated recklessness. So you, like I found we almost were being sort of penny wise, pound foolish sometimes. So we had to unlearn that. There was a lot of experimentation, like we're wired in the early days to do lots of experimentation and iteration. But then once you find that repeatable recipe, you really want to start to focus on repetition and optimization. It also applies to yourself. You know, that was one of the things that um, for me was very personal because, you know, as a founding CEO, like, like I said at the beginning, one of the sort of hidden stresses here is like, how do I keep up with the company as it changes? How do I not hold the company back? Like any good CEO leader is asking themselves that. And at some point you may get to the point personally where you're like, hmm, maybe the right answer is that I am not the right person for this role going forward. And you raise your hand and tap out and, you know, bring in somebody who's the right person for the next phase of the company. It's a very personal choice. You know, at one point, uh, at Mobile Iron, all three of us, the three original founders, stepped out of our original roles into different roles for this very reason. And uh, it's not fun. It's hard. But it's absolutely the right thing for the company and the mission. So I also found as a board member that uh, I need to unlearn as the company grows. You know, in the survival phase of the company, I, I would just focus on whatever is the key problem uh, facing the company at that time and really step in as an additional individual contributor. And so I could feel, I, I would feel great making a, let's say a key contribution to the sales pitch, the marketing message or website. But as the company grows, you know, I realized I, I need to step back from basic com company execution. Otherwise I actually slow the company down and uh, make things worse off and not better off. And instead, what I need to do is to um, make sure the company's headed in the right direction and has the right foundation. In other words, I need to focus then not on company execution, on how to improve company execution, but on vision, culture, and the right metrics. Yeah. So you've both talked a lot about how the CEO's role changes and how the founder's role changes. What about other roles in the company? So that's a good question. Unlearning actually applies to everyone. Step one is sort of a recognition that, you know, the company's changing and your role's changing. So therefore you need to change. So I think recognition is the first step. The second step is being willing to let go and unlearn what had worked for you before and just get used to the idea that it's going to be uncomfortable. And the third piece is anticipate what your role is going to look like next. And, you know, mentors, other executives that have been through that same change uh, can be a real, real valuable asset there. So going back to Bob's uh, point, uh, three steps, the first one about recognition is it, really important. And it's not just recognition by that particular leader. It's recognition by basically the whole leadership team. In other words, all the executives, this, including the CEO and including the board of directors themselves. And I'll give you an example of how this could be helpful is, is that uh, let's say you have uh, a VP of sales who's done a great job in the first stage of the company. You can tell the person is a phenomenal athlete with a lot of potential, but just hasn't gone through the next stages of the company before. So as Bob mentioned, it'd be really helpful to get the right mentor for that executive to work with that mentor. But then to make sure the mentor is engaged, you, know, you want to make sure that mentor gets compensated. And then that may require, let's say, giving the mentor some options, something like that, which will require board approval, as well as getting CEO support and so forth. 
So it, it's, uh, I think, you know, it requires the acknowledgement and full support of everyone on the leadership team so that this is a journey that the whole leadership is That's going through together. And everyone recognizes that, that need. Yeah, there's a, hell, let me add a point there. It's interesting. There's a, there's a little phrase that I picked up on both inside my own head and when I sort of saw the company behaving. There's, you'll hear this phrase sometimes, that's what got us here, right? So we just, you know, what got us here is what we're going to keep doing in the future. And I think anytime you sort of detect that dynamic, I think it's important to sort of mentally raise it up and say, is this something really we do want to keep doing or is this something we need to unlearn and doesn't apply to the next phase? And, you know, these types of examples of unlearning, uh, you know, like we've said, it's not just for the CEO, it's not just for the leaders, but it's for the board and the entire company. And I think it's a, a really important sort of concept to that helped me and, uh, you know, I hope will help the other folks out there as uh, they hit these moments of change and unlearning. Now, how do you know when it's time to unlearn? Because I know in your book, you mentioned these break points. So can you talk a little bit about that, about how you know when you're on this, on a break point and you need to unlearn? It's hard, actually, because you're so focused on just execution that the natural thing to do is just keep doing what you've been doing. And that's the easiest thing to do and the least scary thing to do. Um, So there were sort of two things that helped me. One was when you start to see what used to work not working, you can sort of explain it away or you can be like, huh, you know, suddenly like we're not as good at executing as we used to be, or, Hey, we seem to be struggling with this, or you could just sort of see like a distortion field, like that things aren't working as well as they are. And don't just let yourself explain it away. Like, Use that as a trigger to look into it and figure out, is this something that we need to change, unlearn what we were doing before and learn a new way to do it? Uh, The second thing that was helpful for me was uh, a mentor. And in particular, sort of somebody who is doing your job at another company that's a couple of years ahead of you. So there were several CEOs who were at companies that were a couple of years ahead of Mobile Iron that really helped me sort of identify these points where my job was changing and I needed to change it made it much, much more actionable than sort of hearing again, sort of these memes, like you just need to scale. We need to scale. Like nobody knows what to do with that. But if you have a mentor that's highlighting, Hey, your job's changing. Here's how you need to think about it. Tahi, how do you define the benchmarks? I think there's some clear benchmarks and uh, we talk about that in the book. I think, you know, Bob mentioned some of them, which when you hit like, you know, certain number of employees or when you go from survival to thrival, or when you go from like single product to multi-product, I mean, there are these sort of normal benchmarks. Um, but but I think what Bob said is uh, 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 even more important, which is, uh, you know, you just have to be really sensitive to potential bad news mm-hmm. and, and understand that because of that, uh, uh, you know, it may require an unlearning moment. I'll give you a, an example of uh what I just heard just recently is um, th- there's a, a a company, a portfolio where loyalty is very important. And so obviously this company has gone through a lot of issues in the past and so forth, but now it's positioned to do very well 
And so they went through like a long valley of death to get to this point where, you know, I, I think, you know, they're poised for success. So it's all a, a great thing. Um, and, and so one of the cultural values of the company is loyalty. But what that now has manifested themselves as is that when employees get together, because it's now also virtual, they get together, they start off by saying, well, how long have you been at the company? Mm-hmm. And, and so some people start off by saying, well, I've been here five years. I've been here nine years. And so what that does to people that, let's say, just join the company is like wonder, hey, am I an outsider or am I part of the team? Uh, and, you know, am, am I going to be respected or not? Because the implication is, is, you know, number of years at work is gives you the credibility within the company. And so that's an example of where I think, you know, the company will have to sort of unlearn or that aspect of their culture. And what about the size of the team? Yeah, so there's a, there is a high correlation to these unlearning moments with how big the team is. There was these breakpoints that we found. Um, and in talking to other folks who've been through it, they, you, know, you could argue the numbers are a little bit different, but the concept stays the same. So we found at 50 people, what used to work stopped working. And then at about 150 people, it happened again. And then at 450 people, it happened again. And the, the symptoms were similar in terms of suddenly it just started to feel like what used to work wasn't working. And it, all of a sudden you start to feel this like frustration building up that like things aren't working as well as they used to, yet we've got more people, the business is doing better. Why is it not working as well as it used to? And that's a sign that something about how you're acting, behaving, deciding, culture, whatever it is, needs to change or evolve. And the 50-person breakpoint, we had to go from being sort of organic to organized. At 150 people, we had to change how the executive team worked because now we had this, the real work was almost getting done outside the executive team. It's sort of the director level in the team. So sort of the, even the role of the executive team started to change at 150 people. And we as an executive team kind of had to unlearn how we used to work and learn a new way to work that was important for this next phase of the company. And um, there's another sort of detection tool that I forgot to mention earlier that I think is just as important, which is feedback from the team is often a great way to sort of detect you're in a situation where you need to unlearn what you used to do and learn something new. And, you know, for me personally, there was a point where in the early days of being CEO, I was very much sort of a product and like customer CEO. And as the company shifted and started to grow, a couple of the folks, execs on my team sat me down and said, hey, Bob, we are not getting from you what we need. And it was a real kick in the pants. Like, I bet. I was like, oh, right. But thank God they did that because effectively the punchline of their feedback to me was, hey, Bob, we need you to not just be the CEO of the product and the customer stuff. We need you to be the CEO of the whole company. And I had to sort of unlearn what I thought were sort of my power alleys and my strength as an early stage CEO and learn how to be CEO of the whole company, you know, for finance, for customer success, for go to market and change how I work, change how I spent my time, change where I put my energy. And, you know, the feedback from the team was the kick in the pants I needed to recognize that I needed to be on work. Yeah, hard lesson. It was really uncomfortable, but thank God they did that. I give them a 
credit for having the courage to come in, sit me down and give me that feedback. And credit to you for taking it as well. So what makes unlearning so hard? Uh, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's the punchline. It's really uncomfortable. And in building a company, like it's hard to just get it to work. And when you do, the last thing you want to do is sort of change and mess things up. And so you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to hold things together. You're just trying to grow. And now all of a sudden you got to let go of something that worked and try and learn a new way that you aren't familiar with. And it triggers this massive sense of insecurity. It's kind of counterintuitive to let go of what works and learn something that you're not sure how to do. And it also has this funny sort of emperor has no clothes dynamic that, you know, as a startup and larger company leader, like you develop this feeling of how you add value to the company every day and every week. And that becomes very personal, like your ROI for why you do what you do, because, you know, here's how I feel like I add value. Like letting go of some of those things that are really core to how you feel like you add value and starting to work on and focus on other things, like creates this weird emperor has no clothes moment where the little voice in your head is saying, man, am I really going to be adding value in this new way I'm working in this role? And it just kind of messes with your head. So this con this, this kind of duality of the insecurity that's created by it and this emperor has no clothes moment, it's just counterintuitive. Yet it's super important and exactly what we all need to be doing as companies go through these phase shifts. Yeah, overcoming insecurity is very hard. Have you got any examples from the startups that you've worked with? Well, unfortunately, we have quite a few examples of uh, uh, people having difficulty overcoming that. And frankly, that, that's part of the reason why, uh, uh, you know, Bob and I spent this time to sort of write this book it is because, you know, we've gone through so many examples where people had a, a hard time overcoming their insecurity, unlearning and transitioning to the next level. And so if they don't change, then they have to be changed for the benefit of the company's success. Mm. Well, yeah, that's going to be my next question. What does happen if someone doesn't unlearn? Right. So then in order for the company to succeed, then people will need to be changed. And, uh, and frankly, that's what gives VCs a bad name uh, because of all the, the changes sometimes that we have to make in a management team. But, uh, uh, and, but that's one of the primary motivations, at least for me, of why I've gone through this effort of uh, writing the book and trying to sort of share these examples so that people will be in a better position to make the transition if they want to. You summed up before, you know, some of the ways to help yourself and to help others unlearn, such as getting a mentor, etc. So can we just finish up by summarizing that? The first thing is just thinking through the three steps of unlearning and just recognizing that it needs to happen. So one is recognize that it's a situation where somebody needs to unlearn, unlearn the old role and learn the new role. Like just that, have those three steps in your head is sort of part of the story. Uh and then the second thing is just get help and talk about it. I think, again, this is one of the topics that I think is not very well talked about in the entrepreneurial community and just sort of gets thrown around as this meme, you need to scale and nobody knows what that means. And I think the more practical, actionable ways to help people make these transitions are coaches and mentors and giving people really great feedback and really brutally honest feedback about what's going well and it's not going well. And the last piece is, being able to help people understand what the next role looks like. 
I also think we don't do a very good job of helping leaders understand as their roles are changing, as the company changes, like what does this next role look like? What is the target that people are aiming at? And so that's another topic that we added into the book was start to characterize like for the different roles, the CEO, the VP of engineering, the CFO, the head of sales, like how does their jobs change as the company changes so that people aren't shooting in the dark. They have an idea of you know, what that next role looks like that they're aiming at. And I think, you know, that's part of the fun of company growth. That's part of the fun of personal growth. And for me, this journey of unlearning, while uncomfortable and sometimes very painful, it was also a spectacular sort of personal and professional growth experience. And I think um, you come out the other side, I think, uh, at least for me, um, you know, a better leader and kind of a better person. That's a great roundup. Bob Tinker and Tehinom, thanks very much for sharing. Thanks for listening to the Survival to Thrival podcast with me, Helen Croydon, and co-authors Tehinom and Bob Tinker. This podcast is aimed at enterprise startup leaders. If there's someone you know who would find this podcast useful, please share it with them, subscribe, or leave a review. That's how others find us.